0: This is the All-Markets Summit podcast from Yahoo Finance.
1: All right, here they are, George Pine and Jay Williams. Really delighted to have these two guys on stage together. Could give them another round of applause before we start?
2: You deserve it. <laughs> All
1: right, so for those who might be wondering how these two guys fit together, before we dive right in, I just want to say there are a lot of things these guys have in common. Uh, in industry... Both of these guys are really deeply invested, invested in different ways, in sports streaming, and that's a topic that we cover so closely at Yahoo Finance, OTT over the top. George through his VC firm is heavily invested in a lot of OTT businesses, and Jay hosts a show, well, a number of shows, but one show that is streaming exclusively on ESPN Plus, which is mm-hmm. a relatively new OTT business. I also want to mention both former college athletes, a little bit of a different scale, but Duke basketball former champion and Brown football. So, just about the same level now. Unlike Jay, George was the captain of the team. So yeah. I respect that. Do you have to mention that?
2: I just I'm do not glad have I'm that on the on same sentences, Jay. What are you talking
1: about? <laughs> um, well, let's start this way. We love to try and dive into recent news. There is news that both of you have had in the last couple weeks. That's a good opportunity for us. Jay, let's start with you. Just yesterday, ESPN announced extended your contract. Great way to Oh, I thought you were going with the China situation. Over. Great, <laughs> great way to kick things are, off there. Great to talk China. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about that. But let, let's talk about the news yesterday for ESPN, uh, specifically for fans who really watch the network. and and know your work, Uh, the big takeaway, you are moving from college basketball to being an analyst for the NBA. So talk to us about that shift and different kind of coverage area. you.
0: Yeah, one would say that, but I I think the traditional viewpoint on talent has changed. I think it is changing. I don't think, look, I, I love football. I don't have enough time in the midst of the day to watch every single sport and I respect people that try to do, but I look at basketball as one entire vertical. And I think the storytelling that you can do from, I mean think about the similarities between high school and the NBA, are way more on point than it is college. You know, kids are operating from an individual perspective as a brand, even the way they're doing content. That's Mars is Real, House of Highlights, um, you know, over time, kids are creating reels of themselves and have 90, 100,000 followers on Instagram. So I I think kids are thinking about their brands way earlier whereas you go to a college, you become embedded into a programs brand. Now I think some things are changing obviously with the SB206 Act, right, Uh, we'll talk about later. But I, I think that's interesting to look at the entire spectrum as one, because it just follows itself. I watched Zion from the time he was in high school, right. through Duke, now obviously playing with the Pelicans, and I think having that narrative allows me to better story tell about Zion.
1: So not too big of a shift, you're saying, for you?
0: It's always been something I paid attention to. I, I think I've always wanted to treat the entire sport as one vertical.
1: George, let's start with some news uh, about your company, and we will get into more of what Bruin does and all the different businesses you're invested in. But one of those companies that you own, it's a joint venture between you guys and WPP, the ad giant, is Overtier. And we covered this news earlier this week, but Overtier uh, on Monday out of London, just after the NFL played its first of four London games this year, announcing a contract to basically run the tech for NFL game pass uh, everywhere but the US, Canada, and China. So a big contract for a business you've invested in. Uh, talk to us about that, and. One of those deals that, you know, I wrote on on the site on Yahoo Finance about this, but these back-end tech deals that maybe don't get as much attention, but really are hugely uh, influential in the industry right now. It's
2: really exciting. We're broadcasting the NFL in 181 countries, and we're selling subscribers one step at a time. And initially, we were awarded Europe, but based on performance, we we got the rest of the world. And we've grown the subscribers 15% year one, 25% year two. And you're really, it's, it's for me, kind of an old, uh, old guy, you know, you have the technology, but really it's the integration of the technology and the marketing. Your ads, um, your, your messaging, and your direct-to-consumer marketing, all integrated. You can have the best marketing idea, but if you can't get the code out, The the idea doesn't get in front of the consumer, and so we can change. We know what it takes to sell someone on a one to one basis, and we can change our ads and our pricing in a dynamic fashion. That's the future. Today, uh, we're selling uh, the season. In five or ten years, I affectionately say, you'll be selling ketchup and mustard, or mortgage services, or other devices as you build that relationship, one to one relationship with the consumer. Which I think. Is the future.
1: So this is a little bit like a picks and shovel business if you will. That, that is that people in these countries who decide to pay and subscribe to NFL Game Pass, Overtier, your, your um, company that you're invested in, isn't necessarily consumer-facing. They don't sign up for an Overtier subscription. They sign up for Game Pass. Overtier is handling the tech. A lot of the companies that you've invested into your firm are like that. They are picks and shovels.
2: Companies. That's right. It, on the tech side, although there's a marketing component and the marketing I think is the differentiator, the tech enables it, enables it but marketing and data marketing is the future and that's the difference between growing subscriptions not growing subscriptions selling subscriptions at a higher price so I think you got to have great tech but you have to have great marketing
1: uh, Jay, it's a good segue to talk about OTT, which really is yep. kind of our umbrella today. That's where you guys can both give us a lot of great insight. Uh, you are now on a number of ESPN shows that a person can just watch on the cable network, but you also are hosting The Boardroom, which is a sports business show. It's a uh, Kevin Durant-produced show, yep. and it's on ESPN+. And, of course, we've covered the launch of ESPN+. It's been a little over a year. Uh, what is that like? Is it different at all than doing a show that's on main ESPN? Is that something you think about? Do you think about are we getting the same number of eyeballs because it's only on streaming?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we think about eye, you know, eyeballs. Obviously, it's behind the paywall for ESPN. So, you know, finding out transparency from them about, you know, what our viewership is like. But I also think our amplification model is different because the people that, you know, we're using influencers in their own distribution, right, throughout their own channels. So, I think when you have a chance to work with guys who are, you know, we did, and also following trends. So, one of our best-performing, uh, pieces of content was when we did one on sneakers, right? So obviously, now kids in a lot of urban neighborhoods are very focused on what kind of sneakers. I don't know if you're into sneakers or if you're a sneakerhead, but we did one with P.J. Tucker last year, and we got some people to make mention of what they spend on sneakers and what their budgets are. And then I, I think through amplifying that content through their channels and having the NBA and other huge entities pick up, uh, that allowed there to be a lot more chatter about our show, trying to drive to the subscription model for ESPN Plus.
1: I'm more into the
2: dress shoes you're wearing than sneakers. <laughs> well, listen, I'll tell you, one of our best investment in our venture fund is a thing called StockX. And it's exactly. office, the exchange of trading sneakers. When I was up at Brown, uh, my son plays on the football team. It was a Saturday morning on a Saturday at nine o'clock and there was this long line coming out of the store waiting for it to open. And it was a, like a sneaker exchange store. Mm-hmm. So this whole sneaker thing is more than you think, right? It's Huge. Great, pretty popular.
1: Huge business. We have a great reporter, Reggie Wade, who covers that industry very closely. Uh, well, as you mentioned, George, you've got a, a son who has just come in to Notre Dame for football?
0: Yes. Okay. Congratulations, man. Thank you. There you That's go. He took
1: after his mother, but go right ahead. <laughs> Uh, Great segue to talk about the news. You did mention earlier SB 206. So for those in the audience, just quickly, we have this California bill that will basically allow college athletes to accept paid endorsement deals. Now, not the same as the ongoing raging debate about whether to pay college athletes some kind of salary or stipend. That's sort of separate. That has been a big issue. Uh, But this bill has passed in California, and as of now, it is going to take effect in uh, 2023. Now, of course, the NCAA has been voraciously opposed to this and and very vociferous about that. Uh, Really interesting to watch, and I'd love to Get both your takes on, on what this will mean. I mean, your former Duke star. What would this have meant for you? Would you have been signing paid endorsement deals?
0: If I didn't come from a you know, dual parenting background where my parents were financially okay, I would have to look at my situation differently. Um, you know, for a lot of these kids, I know my last year in school, my jersey did around two point three million dollars in sales. Okay, and you know, when you start seeing your jersey, you still return to these schools and you see that your jersey is still being sold, you, you wonder about you know, am I? Am I inclined to any kind of percent of revenue that's you know grossed on that? And and how does that work? So I, I think yes, that will it will make things different. I also can take it a step further. I mean, we have these other entities that I mentioned, if that's overtime, who are profiting off kids in high school now. So the content is actually getting you know younger and younger and younger. So I, I think you're gonna see a lot of kids in high school start thinking about themselves as brands as well. It's gonna push the envelope.
1: And obviously this affects investing in these businesses for you.
2: Yes, I I think it creates more opportunity actually because I think it will, even for the schools, will make more money. You know, a a Baker Mayfield shirt right now, but you can't put Mayfield on it. Oklahoma doesn't sell a lot of them. When you put Mayfield on the back, you're gonna sell more. So it's gonna open up new categories for the school and create new revenue for the players. Where it gets tricky, I think, is the regulation of competition. So take Zion or LeBron, you know, if you could go to Duke and you get a shoe deal for $10 million, you might play at Duke for four years. If I'm a, a car dealer at a big football school, is it an endorsement or is it a recruiting tool? And how do you regulate all that is gonna be very difficult. It's easy for a politician to say, hey, let's, let's, let's be more equitable to the players, which is fair. But how you do that without disrupting the whole uh, industry is gonna be interesting to watch. In fairness, those that might not be as favorable to the NCAA or the universities would say they've been too slow to react. And so people are pushing them, but it really has competitive uh, issues. I mean, what is is recruiting enhancements and what's an endorsement? Um, I don't know.
0: It's far from simple. No, I agree with him. I I think it's interesting because I think the industry has already been disrupted. We're just now finding out about how it's been disrupted for a long time. A lot of that pay for play model has already existed for a very, very long time. And I just call that fair market value.
2: And it's going to be bigger in basketball, Great. where you only need two or three people to have a really good team. Not, not taking away from others, but you, you, you could have this. Will have an immediate impact in basketball, football a little a little more difficult, but still from a recruiting standpoint. You know, if I'm a car dealer at Auburn, you know, am I doing an endorsement to get that player, or am I paying that player to come and play? I don't know. And how do you? What are the rules around that? I don't know how that
1: works. Well, and, and playing off that, we had uh, NFL alum Justin Tuck on one of our Yahoo Finance live shows earlier this week, and we asked him about this issue, and he said, look, the idea that college athletes are amateurs, the NCAA concept that it holds so dear of amateurism went out the window long ago. Do you, do you feel that way, Jay? Well,
0: I mean, the whole term amateurism came back from like the 50s with Walter Byers, right? And that was due to a workers' comp dispute that they were able to find a loophole around. So. It, when I, you know, my, my dad's worked at Amex for over 25 years and I would watch him go to work every day at seven o'clock and then come home around five o'clock. And then I would laugh with him. He's like, what time do you start working out? I'm like, 5.30 in the morning. What time do you get done? Uh, you know, nine, then you go to class. Okay, then I have other workouts from three until seven. So those hours actually almost equate to an employee. And I think that's the next step as well. In fairness, in, in, you know, in football, I'm not familiar with basketball, but division one football
2: is 11 months a year okay so you're going to school no, uh, no you, awesome. you have to go to summer school you have bowls you have spring you're working out in january it's a, you have three or four weeks off a year and that's it so to be fair and that that effort is producing billions of dollars of revenues and creating a lot of a lot of revenue for people and so the question is what's the fair allocation of that revenue and then how do you do it in the context
0: of a, University setting and college athletics. All,
2: I'm glad I'm not figuring it out. I, think
0: that's <laughs> the precious, I agree with you. Right? All I would say is, you know, back in the, the 60s and 70s, where head coaches were making $100,000, $200,000. Uh, we, uh, you know, we did some work over ESPN where you could put a couple of college coaches, and they would rank in the top 10 highest-paid NBA coaches. So the industries seem very similar now as far as payment.
1: Yeah, Justin Tuck brought up Coach Pay as well. It's something really a, a big influencer in this. Uh, great to hit that recent news about college endorsements. Let's also talk about the NBA in China. Uh, huge, huge sports news and, and arguably really just one of the biggest stories in America right now, even just non-sports politically, globally. Uh, two great guys to comment on it. We had uh, Shad Khan here on stage earlier today, the owner of the Jags. Really interesting to get his take. Uh, what should the NBA do right now? Uh, and I, I'm just going to... Kind of assume that everyone in the in the room at least knows vaguely what the NBA is dealing with. Uh, Chinese business partners angry over the Houston Rockets GM's tweet supporting Hong Kong protesters.
0: You take your first shot okay,
2: i it. Okay. <laughs> what should the NBA do? Actually, I think the NBA is in a tough <clears throat> spot. First of all when you're a sport or entertainment property and you're inserted in a very political situation, I don't think that's good for business. So, it's any business, you're in a difficult spot. The second thing is when you do business in a territory that doesn't have free speech, freedom of expression, free trade, there's risk in that. Now, I get there's 1.4 billion people there, but there's risk when you go into that territory. Mm -hmm. And and and, And China's not the only territory like that in the world. So, They're in a tough spot. I think where the commissioner landed is the right approach. Look, we're gonna stand up for freedom, free speech, freedom of expression. We think basketball is something that can bring together two divergent cultures. And if there's a penalty, a business penalty that comes along with standing up for free speech, then they're gonna have to live with it. I think that's where it is. I think they've got to tough it out, and if I don't think there's much more to say. If I were the NBA, less is more, and you hope uh, life goes on. One thousand
0: percent. That was a very. That's a very good answer. <laughs> well, it happens
2: once in a while. Yeah,
0: uh, I just think yeah, the NBA should remain unapologetic about where they were and uh, how they handled the situation. And less is more. And I would say this from the from the player side. Uh, you know, now I think the NBA has moved away from more institutional and into more individuals as far as it relates to guys you know, being able to be creative with their own brands, if that's LeBron James or, you know, James Harden, I know he made a quick comment, even though I would not advise any player to speak out on that issue. And, you know, we get into this thing, freedom of speech, but with freedom of speech are repercussions. If I were to be walking down the street and say something on TMZ that was a negative reflection of ESPN and Disney, I would have to pay the repercussions of that. So I think, you know, players, there's no upside to them saying anything. And you hate to say in Business as usual, uh, but you know for them to continue to come back home and then make statements about it, I would, I would probably take that angle. It's just like any business. If I
2: go Great. speak to my investors and I do something that's polarizing to my investors, probably not good for business. So in politics, you, so you have to choose sometimes whatever you say is polarizing, less is probably more Great.
1: Well, I think the reason it's become such a fascinating story, too, is because the NBA, either deservingly or not, has this reputation as being the open league. And I think a lot of people for years have have sort of pitted the NBA against the NFL in the sense of NBA really allows its players to speak openly. They have an open social platform. Uh, We even had guests on our shows who were saying, you know, the reason that the NBA didn't experience those political protests, the NFL did, is because NBA players already feel like they always have an opportunity to speak out. Do you feel that that is true, Jay, covering the NBA and having played in the NBA? uh, Do you think that the The NBA is is sort of uh, more encouraging of of free speech of its players than the other U.S. Pro Leagues?
0: We did a a boardroom segment that's going to come out soon. It was with um, Victor Cruz, Chad Ochocinco, or just Chad as he likes to be referred to, and Chris Carter. And we talked about, you know, due to wearing helmets, due to different stipulations that they have as far as being NFL players, you know, if the Shield holds them back to a certain degree of really stepping out and saying things. Now, obviously, I think the Colin Kaepernick situation, uh, you know, took things to a different degree. But I would say that the NBA allows this player within the rights uh, you know that same rule about protesting was already stipulated within the CBA for the NBA right so they've been abiding by it for a while but uh, the visibility that they have you know we were even talking about Russell Westbrook and James Harden playing on the same team right? whenever they walk into any gym that that tunnel walk is going to be like a runway walk they have a platform where they're constantly it's the new pop culture that's what the NBA is so they have a lot more opportunities to speak out on issues like that.
1: George, uh, while we have you up here, I want to make sure I I mention your your past. You were the CEO of NASCAR. Then you were the president of IMG, the talent agency. Of course, IMG at one point merges with WME. WME IMG rebrands to Endeavor, and some recent news about Endeavor: Endeavor uh, called off its IPOs the second time. Uh, interesting company to watch, and how Ari Emanuels has run that business. Uh, when you look at Endeavor now, having spent some time there, what do you make of how that business is doing?
2: I'd rather answer the NBA question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, listen, there's no <laughs> there's no company like that in the world. Obviously, they have a lot of debt on the company. Um, and, they, and they're going to have to work their way through a difficult, uh, a difficult patch here. I heard a stat the other day that there were 63 companies in the last nine years that went public and were unable to go public, and only two of those eventually went public. Mm. So you know they're in a tough spot. Uh, you know I never would underestimate Ari right. or Silver Lake, and I think that they'll, they're fierce competitors. And you'd like to believe that they'll true grit their way out, but th- certainly they've had some headwinds.
1: Uh- Moving on from IMG, you start this VC firm and you are investing in OTT businesses. Uh, why was that so appealing to you? What's the thesis with the firm overall and it might be a good way to get us back into streaming? Well, I think the way
2: people consume media is gonna change and therefore we're investing, all our investments are behind the change. So we've made 55 investments in 35 companies in courtside mm-hmm. in three years, uh, early stage companies. And then our biggest investment was an investment in an Italian based company called Delta Trade that provides technology for all screens on a global basis, and we brought it here to America and have signed up most of the major leagues. So we have OTT projects going all over the world, but simply put, media is changing and we're investing on the consumption of of the change. That also includes like we bought a branding company because we believe design in a direct to consumer world is important. So everything that we've done is investing behind the change and our ability to influence that business, meaning taking great companies and introduce them to other people in the sports industry.
1: Jay, uh, hosting the boardroom, and I know that you watch sports business, uh, Uh who do you think is the most interesting in terms of either current or recently retired athletes and what they're doing off the court, off the field, who do you look to uh, who has done it right after their playing career?
0: I love what Serena's doing, obviously, with her VC firm, uh, what she's been able to achieve with that. We've also, you know, we've got a chance of watching what LeBron has been able to do. Now, granted, getting a lot of their shows in the second and third seasons, uh, it's always a challenge for any, any entity. Uh, but I, I like the way that he's scaling himself currently. And my thing is, you know, you talk about what your relationship is with brands and direct-to-consumer model. Like, that's how I try to look at it, is, you know, especially from the athlete side, you know, what are opportunities that me lending my name, my likeness to something, my brand identity can get equity in something? And then also, how do I... I have access. My level of access is different than a lot of other people. So how can I you know, work with other athletes or other huge influencers, entertainers, and we do a lot of these collaborations, we're able to go into business in that kind of regard.
1: George, let's end this way. Uh, when you look at the next five years, you know, we're talking about OTT and how streaming has changed everything. Uh, we know that the NFL has all of its big broadcast rights uh, up for renegotiation soon. People wonder, might a big tech player come in there? Five years out from now, not just the NFL, all the big U.S. pro leagues. Uh, how do you see the TV landscape being different? Is it going to be it's, completely fragmented or it's happening slower than people think? I think
2: it's going to happen a little slower because the money is in the old media. So the question for the major sports properties is not going to be, can I get a rights fee increase? Because I think sports is the most valuable thing on television big audiences, engages consumers, so the old media is gonna pay the money. And I don't think the new media is gonna quite be there the way people thought, is my take of it. And because they have other bigger opportunities. You know, when you're Amazon, you're thinking about health industry, auto parts, groceries, you know, I'm not sure where sports fits in their their list. Um, That being said, the question for the big sports leagues will be, you know, if I only go out to the old media, there's a whole generation of consumers that I'm not interacting with. And what content do I reserve to relate to those consumers? Because if I don't relate to those consumers and I only take the money, that may not be good for me long-term. And I think you know, the biggest challenge for sports and all forms of entertainment may not be other forms of sports and entertainment, but more user-generated content mm. that's created, that people share with one another, and the time you spend interacting with people on social media is as big of a competitor to basketball or football or baseball as anything else. So you gotta to be of, relevant to those guys. A
1: little bit what you were saying, too. We have to leave it there. Awesome, outstanding chat, George Pine, Jay Williams. Can we give him a round of applause?